Hello, hello. Welcome into another episode of Blueprint to Canton. This is episode three. I'm Nelly at a Nelly Ticks on Twitter and also found in your Discord. Uh, today, super excited to be bringing on Mike at FF Dirty Mike on Twitter. Uh, Mike Valerie. I mean, everyone's favorite, uh, everyone's favorite Debbie analyst at, uh, at Campus to Canton. How you doing, Mike? Good. I appreciate that too. So take that, Corey and Austin. And I don't know if Colin considered himself a Debbie guy, you know, but yeah, take that, everybody. Yeah. Uh, I don't know about Colin. <laughs> we'll, we'll see. I'll have to, I'll have to talk to him about that. But uh, no. So I, I wanted to bring Mike on this episode. Uh, primarily, my, my main reason for coming to Mike is we are in the same program league together. And I'm sitting at the bottom of the standings on the college side. I'm 0-3, and Mike is all the way up at 3. No, he's top. He's top in the entire program. He's the number one team in the program. So, obviously, he has some good thoughts about um, about Campus to Canton's strategy. Uh, something's going right for him there. But then also, obviously, he's on uh, it back to Debbie, right? Right, that's correct. Back to Debbie uh, and has a lot of Debbie, Debbie thoughts and uh, and good process there, which I think is obviously super incredibly important for for campus to can. It's such an integral part there. Um, so I, I thought that would be a great uh, perspective to bring on here. So I guess first topic I wanted to talk about here is you've mentioned to me that you're you like to go Debbie heavy, Debbie heavy, Debbie heavy. That's the. That's a good little catchphrase. Yeah. You like to go Debbie heavy in your drafts for, for campus to Canton leagues. I guess talk me through the thought process for why why you like doing it that way and what exactly that means. Yeah, so this this thought process really almost got, I should say shattered, but it definitely made me think really hard because of our league of record draft that we're in. It had like all a bunch of industry guys and Nick Ian Allen went like CFF, like I think like pick two. And uh, I just felt like I couldn't compete after like pick five. Obviously, like I'm doing pretty well in that in that league too. But I think Debbie's so important because that's your pipeline to the NFL. I know Austin always says like don't treat your NFL or CFF side like it's a Debbie pipeline. I almost like disagree with that. I went up until I think about twenty, yeah, twenty one picks, twenty one picks until I decided I'm just going straight CFF guys, which is like really deep. I usually only do like ten or fifteen. But everyone started scrambling for CFF guys that I was like thought like maybe I'll just do what I know and I know player evaluation. And I'm just gonna go for guys I think actually have NFL futures. Even if like half of them don't work out, that should still be a pretty big win if I can hit 50%. So I, I like going Debbie heavy because I want to maximize my NFL side as well. Uh and these guys do have a production profile that you might not be as prolific. Like Isaiah Bond at pick at like my round seven pick. Like that's, I don't really expect to ever have him in my starting lineups, but I expect him to probably do something in the NFL at some point in time. So if I could maximize my potential of going to the NFL side, then I'm into that because I view CFF as being so volatile that it's like hard to predict um, like who's going to be on top. There's always guys on the waiver wires for wide receivers. Uh, even for running backs too, there's some guys that are missed there too as well. So I just think that Debbie guys are a little less, like found on the waiver wires, you know, like you think about this upcoming uh, draft class and all the top guys were already on roster pretty much probably the entire year with the exception of like Devontae Walker, who's now dealing with waiver wire issues. So it's, there's nothing like as far as like Debbie goes from like your supplemental drafts, it's dry. It's like super dry. I think outside of like, you know, if your entire league just blew all their waiver wire picks, then maybe you have one or two, but that's, that's why I think Debbie's so important to go deep initially because I I'm I'm rocking with like I'm trying to think about some guys here. Michael Madison's hurt, voice sounds hurt, so those didn't work out. But like I go deeper. I got the tight end from Temple at like my 30th pick. 
you know, and I got Sam Brown in my 34th pick. Like you can find CFF value pretty easily and just shoot for deep on that. And then, and then my, my, the second part we talked about pre-show was why I think like waivers should go into your draft strategy as well. I'm okay with having holes in my roster, AKA CFF producers, because I, I already planned ahead. Like three of these picks have to go to like, I have to have one CFF stud at QB. I need one stud at like running back or one stud at, at wide receiver or whatever. I think that's fine. You know, if you have, if you're starting 10, that's 30% of your roster right there. And I've done that. I think almost for every single league. And I like pretty much all my rosters across the board. Yeah. You know, it's interesting when you told me Debbie heavy beforehand, I I thought that meant like, like 75 to hundred percent of your roster would be, (laughs) would be deadly. And, and so I was ready to come in and combat you on that. But honestly, like I'm completely with you. Like, I, I probably split my roster like 50% Devi, 50% CFF, because a lot of these Devi guys, if you're producing and you're a guy who's on track to be an NFL player, you are also producing on the college side. So you can kind of cover both sides there, right? So like when you talk about going through, you said up to like round 22 with Devi guys there, like a number of those guys are contributing for you on, on the college side already, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Travis Hunter's my 21st pick. Like, he's contributing. Uh, I actually picked up quite a bit of freshmen here. Uh, Will Howard and Curtis Rourke were my 11th and 12th pick. I don't think Curtis is really Debbie, but I, I, I do, yeah. Some of these guys are contributing. I do, like, you know, Danny Martinez, fifth round. I think he's going to do something. Antonio Williams in the second. Like, I, I like I like these guys as far as, like, NFL potential as of, like, today. Right. And so I guess for me, when we're talking about Debbie prospects, where I kind of tend to, to, to lean away is guys who are more of projections, right? Like a guy who's not going to play much this year, but has flashed. Okay. Um, like, uh, a, a, a name, for example, would be a guy like Rashad Dubinian, who is like, he's not going to be the starter yeah. at Arkansas this year, but some people might think he has a Debbie future and will eventually work into a role. And that kind of, that applies to a lot of freshmen as well. Um, is that, is, are those guys that you're also, uh, like when you say Debbie heavy, is that, is that those type of archetypes as well? Or is it more so guys who are like already kind of, um, producing already kind of in the, the max role it's a mix of projection and already established guys too because uh, i i um haven't said it much this year actually but typically me and Corey say a lot that we want to project like success we're not projecting draft capital just because a guy just drafted in the third round doesn't mean they're gonna be successful it's been quite a drought actually last couple of years in the third round so it's like draft capital does matter but like sometimes it just you just it's it's like it's like a false win you know what i'm saying like oh my guy got win the third round like who cares it that, that uh Danny Gray from SMU got drafted in the third round. He's not doing anything for you. Like, like, like I don't yeah. think you expect him to do anything for you anyway. So it's like a win for like a week. And then once like camp reports roll in, it's no longer feeling like a win anymore. So uh, there are guys that I think are like fringe day two assets, like guys who think are going to get drafted, but you just know they're not going to do anything. And, and those are guys that me and Corey actually talk about targeting. Like that's like your round 10 to like 20, like guys that you're confident they're going to produce and then that you think they're getting the draft capital for. I'm trying to think of guys like like Elijah Badger was a guy we talked about like that. Um, and we're fans of uh, Jeremiah Hunter. Like, you know, we're confident he's going to produce and that's the range he's going to go in. Uh, even like I may say Dorian Singer every single chance I can get. But like I didn't think – I think he would – I thought he would produce more than he is right now. And I would have said like fine taking him between rounds like 10 and 20. Like he's not someone we expect him to do anything in the NFL, but like maybe gets the draft capital and probably doesn't. Maybe does. So yeah, so so it's it's a mix. 
So I do want to dive into that a little bit more. Like when you when you look at guys like that, guys who emerge who aren't the top recruits, uh, like the names that you just said, and and I mean you mentioned Damian Martinez earlier. I mean, there's a number of guys who kind of emerge that you don't expect to emerge. How do you determine like what what of what of those names are like real Debbie prospects and what are like fraudulent Debbie prospects? Is it, is it really as deep as you go in and you watch the film on each and every one of these players? Do you have any kind of like any macro level strategies that you use to kind of come up with a view before diving into the film? Yeah, I, so I definitely do box scout, box score scout, but before I watch film, I want to get like an expectation because I, me and Corey did an episode a month or two ago about like roles and traits for players. And that's kind of like what we want to see. So like there's field stretchers, there's possession right receivers, whatever. And you should be evaluating them based on that scale because that's probably going to be the role at the NFL level. Obviously, you want guys that are versatile. Like if you're if you're one role in the entire like college, is just field stretching, like a.k.a. Jalen Hyatt. That's all he did. That's all he's going to do at the next level. And that just limits his upside and his usage because that's they're just going to ask him to go deep all the time. And that's just what he does. And you're just hoping for those boom weeks. So. Um, yeah, it, it goes into player eval for me. I have noticed a trend a little bit in NFL drafts, and I haven't really dug deep into it. I only went like the last couple of years. Most wide receivers drafted like the first three rounds all has some sort of impact their freshman year. Like year one zero theory, sure. But even when you go deeper to the guys that aren't top 300 recruits, they've all had some sort of like playing time as a freshman. So like sometimes these guys are just like redshirt freshmen and then they take off. And I think I care a little bit less about that. So I want to see early playing time. Like no matter what the context is, I want to see early playing time. And obviously I want to see a little bit of something there. I don't really, yeah, I'm not going to tell the running back that has like two yards per carry, you know, but I want to see true freshman that always gets my attention. Yeah. I think it's interesting because I put, I've put some thought into kind of what you're talking about there in terms of like the progression that a player needs to take and how that pertains to like year one zeros or wide receiver. And it, it makes sense logically, if you kind of break it down, like a player doesn't uh, uh, to be an NFL stud, usually you need to be a college stud, like way more often than not, you have to be a very good college player. And in order to get to that point, like, it's not like, all of a sudden the college coach realizes that you're incredible and starts utilizing you a ton, right? Like it's a progression of we're going to get this guy in the field. He's going to get a little bit of playing time, get acclimated, and then we'll start to ramp up the role. And so like, generally speaking, if a guy is going to be good, the coach can recognize that early on. And so they, they start this progression. And and this is obviously very generalized. It doesn't happen for every single player, but like, Mm -hmm. The reason why the year one zero it checks out in so many cases is like guys who are going to be really good. The coach wants to get their progression going. And in order to have a big role as a sophomore, as a junior, you need to have a smaller role beforehand and kind of ramp up to that to continue to prove yourself. Um, so I, I think just conceptually thinking through why like guys who are doing something in their freshman year uh, is generally a good sign. Like I, I, I tend to think logically that's why that kind of backs up analytically. Is it just, it makes sense in terms of uh, like roles ramping up and that progression kind of following suit. I, I like to, to think about like, I think internal and external competition matter too. I, sometimes I put that in my writings and I don't see a lot of people talk about that too much. I know that, um, uh, Noah Hills does like his Bay rating, his like, which is pretty much comparing running backs within the same like, uh, backfield together. Um, I, I think it's fine, but I think it's also like dangerous territory, but, 
uh, just for example, Tyler Brown, I tweeted about him super late last night because I had waivers running. I saw you like that tweet, so I panicked, and I was like, damn, dude, I might have <laughs> my bid on him, dude. <laughs> but um, like Tyler Brown's a three-star true freshman for Clemson, you know, and his internal competition, Antonio Williams, Adam Randall, Bo Collins, those are all guys that have at least somewhat NFL traits. Uh, me and Corey don't really too much believe in Bo Collins or Adam Randall anymore, but they're still like as a tradition coming in, like he's already outproducing Adam Randall on a like just straight up production standpoint with less snaps. Like I like that, even though it was against like he's gotten 15 routes run or more in all of his matchups, but his, his main breakout was against FAU, but it still matters to me that he's doing this while competing against already established guys. And he's again, playing for an actual like blue blood program. Like this is Clemson. This isn't, um, I'm trying to think of like a super weak wide receiver. It's not like Virginia Tech. You know what I'm saying? Like we're not excited about anyone in Virginia Tech's offense. That could, that could be 100% opportunity driven without really being talent. I can think of this and be like, from a boss board, like scouting thing, like this guy has to have some sort of level of talent to be outproducing these guys that are already getting NFL buzz. Yeah, so let, let's, let's dig into that a little bit more. Like freshman breaking out, this kind of touches into the waiver stuff you were talking about earlier. It's hard to find Debbie names on waivers. It's really yeah. hard, especially in year three. Now, the one time when you can do it is these freshmen that break out as a freshman uh, that weren't drafted in supplemental drafts. I, I've mentioned this, I think, in both of the past two podcasts. But, like, this past receiving group, like, JSM would have been drafted in freshman drafts. Yeah. But uh, Quentin Johnston probably wasn't. Jordan Addison probably wasn't. Zay Flowers probably wasn't. So those were guys in campus Canton leagues who were able to pick up off of waivers once they broke out. But for like every Jordan Addison, there's five other freshmen that also show a little bit of promise and a little bit of usage as a freshman. Um, so how do you determine which of those guys are, are have that sort of future to be a first-round rookie pick, to be a first-round NFL pick, to be a future NFL stud? Oh, man. I mean, uh, just real basic Debbie stuff. Like, you're looking for power five. You're looking for, at least for our series, like year one zero type stuff. I know it's like running backs. I'm looking at size. Like, I don't really care if you're 170 and you can run around the, the pile. Like, that's cool. You won't do it in the NFL. Like, those guys are a lot more athletic. You can't run around those guys. Um, so, I, I there's just some basic Debbie stuff. I think it's easy to, like, eliminate them. Eliminate them. Jordan Singer, just because I always hamper on him. Like, he's 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 just not a big guy, but he wants to play contested catch football. Like, that's fine. You can do that in the Pac-12. You definitely can't do it in the NFL. There's no way. So, uh, yeah. So, I, I that's, I guess, where player evaluation comes from. And, like, I, I praise our recruiting team because I think they do a really good job, too. Um, like, their first year doing it, their tier one wide receivers were uh, Barry and Brown, who was, like, wide receiver 16 on, like, 24-7 sports. Like, that was a great hit and a great win. Luther Burden was number one guy overall. But, um, yeah, I, I think that's where player eval comes from. But uh, yeah. there's, there's some easy ways to eliminate them. You know, if they're G5, you can go ahead and delete them off the list. Uh, like power five is kind of the way to go. Not saying that G five is like a descendants. Like once in a while, those guys do pop off, but like it's you really don't know until like it's draft year. Like that's when you know. Oh yeah, I mean that's one of my like hard and fast debut rules that I rarely ever break. Is like you're you're it's a losing bet if you're betting on a G five yeah. guy to be a, a future relevant NFL player. Uh, some of the people originally remember me maybe being a big fan of Dylan Goffney. I love Dylan Goffney. Um, <laughs> that's that's so done. <laughs> so you know like. I, um, I'm like now a fan of Makai Jackson. Uh, I already know that's not going to be a win, but you know, I was coming up on the 45th round. I just had to supplement my, uh, my like need to shoot from deep there. But, um, but yeah, G5 guys are just not the way. Even for but, running back too. The last like G5 running back, I think that really mattered was like Kareem Hunt. And even looking at his like athletic profile, super uninspiring. Uh, but he looked really good on tape though. But again, 
so in the transfer portal nowadays too, like these guys get the whiff that Power Five wants them, they're going like instantly, and then well, and and then you'll find out if they're the truth or not, like by like week four. Yeah, yeah. The thing is, like these guys do get opportunities at the next level. Like we've seen G five receivers go on day two the past like past. I mean, past few years at least. I haven't yeah. looked back further than that when looking into this. It's, but like, it's one or two. It's yeah, one or two but it's years. hard to find who exactly it'll be. My bet this year, and I, we don't do specific names here, but I'm breaking that rule. Okay. Tory Horton. Tory Horton's my guy. Okay. Tory Horton's yeah, so I saw good. you in the Slack hyping him up there a little bit. Yeah, so let, let's break that rule a little bit further. Uh, are there any freshmen this year that probably aren't on, probably weren't drafted in supplementals that um, I guess have have broken out that you think are it's not just smoke like there's like a legit like a legit Debbie asset inside of them like there's a just, few, few running backs just, handful of wide receivers that have done it so far it's just tyler brown for me as far as wide receivers go um and then as far as running backs first one comes to my head is uh darius taylor i i was pretty harsh on um mo ibrahim and rightfully so in the end because i i felt like a lot of those running backs just get taught to follow their blocks. They're very uncreative. They're just, they just read the helmets and they don't really offer you more than that. They, they do have some, a little bit like plus contact balance, but like outside of that, like it's really nothing too special, but I, it's a true freshman. Like you cannot be like too critical of them. I get really critical of their sophomore season, but uh, that, that would be like the two guys I'm looking at, but definitely Tyler. I'm my, all my eyes are on Tyler Brown right now. Like I, I really think maybe we have something there. Yeah. Yeah, I gotta go scoop him up. I spent my waivers this week on uh, LJ Martin instead of Tyler Brown. Oh yeah, um, yeah, yeah. That's a good one too. Yeah, big boy there at BYU. Um, but okay, let, let's pivot away from from names. That's uh, not okay. supposed to be. Uh, not that I'm breaking my own rule there. Let's talk. You mentioned you like to do college zero quarterback in your drafts. Uh, yes. Do you want to talk yeah. a little bit about why you like doing that and what exactly that means? Uh, so I. Uh, Zero, zero QB was what we're talking about here. And usually it's the idea. Um, I'm not the pioneer of this, by the way, for everyone listening. I think Austin was probably the first one I've heard ever talk about it. But uh, if I can't get like one of my top, I think this year I, I made the rule of top nine QBs. Um, like guys, I feel super confident having it, you know, at least like a 50% chance of day one draft capital. So that line cut off for me was like Kyler McCord, for example. So like is Williams, Reg May, everyone's got all that. Drew Aller. Uh, and then you had like the five freshmen. And then uh, Quinn Ewers and Wegman. Like, that was it. If I didn't get any of those guys in the first, like, three or four rounds, I wasn't touching one until, like, after round 10 or, or 11. There's just They're just too volatile. I, I don't blame anyone for taking Kate Klubnick, for example, in the second round. Like, that dude had a great offensive line. He's got great a, a phenomenal supporting cast. And then they bring in Garrett Riley, who's a great OC. So, like, all the variables that surround him were, you know, top tier. So the only question was his own development, which is, like, Usually you can feel good about projecting that and it just looks terrible so far. Um, so I, I don't blame one for taking him there. I would have made the same mistake, honestly. But again, there's just so volatility and there's just not too many quarterbacks get drafted year to year. You know, like one year we only we only had Kenny Pickett. And and our, like the Kenny Pickett managers, they can't be excited. Like they they cannot be excited about that turnout. And that's like one whole year of quarterback class. Like yeah, so I, Steelers I don't, fans aren't excited either. Yeah, I, well, I think they're doing better than the Bears fans as of today. So. <laughs> True. True, it could be worse. Um, yeah. Uh, so um, I, I don't like to shoot from deep too early on QB. I, I'm a Will Howard fan. I think you were too. Um, I remember that in our in our program draft. Got him in the 11th round. I was 
I'm gonna throw some shots out there. I was made fun of on the uh, on the um, I was made fun of on a podcast. They're friends though. It's Andy A Star, Coach A. I love those guys. I made fun of for taking him too early. He's like QB twelve right now, and I don't really feel good about him being around one QB. But like, I think he could go day two, early day three, and that's again, I only paid an eleventh round pick for him, so that's a that's a fine return on value for me. Yeah, I like I like Will Howard. The the metrics are actually decent on him. Um, but okay, so so it's like to sum it up, it's elite quarterbacks at the top, and if not, there's just a massive pool of guys that you can get that'll be CFF relevant, and that's all you need to round out your college roster. Yeah, I I, I was a pretty big fan of last year of Byron Brown, who's just a second year player right now, and um, I'm trying to see how far I waited to get him. I don't think I got him in this league. I think he went like rounds 20 or 30, but like, again, he was a CFF guy that um, a lot of people liked. People were scared because of Gary Bohannon, but uh, you know, I, when you take a turd out of a front yard and you put it on a front porch, it's still a turd. So I, I wasn't really too scared of Gary Bohannon. I think I knew who he was as a player. So, um, <laughs> Hey, he's hurt. If he, when he comes back, he might still play. I, I doubt it. I know he's on all the billboards, but I think he's just a name, but anyway, <laughs> <laughs> so, um, there's, there's just, I think CFF guys you can find on the waiver wires, especially early. You might get a little bit dry that midseason, but if you play those waivers right and you can like, you know, I, I think Jared does a great show for CFF. I remember week one he was um saying to pick up uh the tight end from Baylor, and I I could I could sort that one out and be like I don't really care about Taylor the Baylor tight end. I think that was a fluke. Uh, the quarterback's hurt. I don't really trust the Baylor program. But then you know he's uh, hyping up um uh Lavade from uh Miami yeah. Ohio. Yeah, and that's legit because he's like going off. Like he he did really well against a power five defense. Like you gotta take note of that. And it's action, so you know he's gonna have a whole light schedule. And his target share is insane. So I know he didn't do well this week, but I mean the rest of the year you should feel pretty good about that. And if you got that waiver wiring because you're going to your draft thinking like, all right, well, wire score is a little bit weak. I need I think I need two solid guys. And you got Laverday. Like that's one solid guy that you probably won't take out your lineup no matter what. Like that's. That's that's why I like going Debbie heavy. And then again, these waiver wire picks are part of my draft strategy. And then once the year is over and my 22 like Debbie guys here, like I'm trying to think right now, I'm looking at these guys, see who's just straight up just done. Like, I just don't believe in it anymore. Um, I'll choose the freshman here. Look, I got Samson, uh, Sheldon Samson from LSU, Nathan Leacock from Tennessee. Um, like those are two guys. Like, like let's say they're year one zeros and uh, I'll drop them. I'll drop them right now. I'll just, I'll drop them like 14 to 15 round pick. Like I, the year one zeros, I, I, I don't think they're going to be CFF studs. Like fine. I'll move on right away. I got 15 picks. I can reload like right away. Yeah. That so. was actually something big that Mox and I talked about last, last week in terms of like, it's good to take shots on these freshmen because they have the massive ceilings that you can't really get yeah. from anything else. But once they show you their true colors of just not being it very, very, like very very unlikely chance of success it's it it doesn't hurt to let go of them early because those roster spots are valuable but um yeah so let's i want to expand on the quarterback thought there so like zero qb does does that change at all if because generally when you do a campus to can startup you do the nfl side and then the college side um does that change at all if you feel like you're weak on the nfl side at quarterback like do you try and attack it a little bit more do you purposely not go weak on on the nfl side of quarterback to avoid that like how does that sort of synergy of the quarterback position across both sides work for you 
I think that's how you lose leagues is when you try to like reach for guys because you're weak in a certain category. Like I, I usually think best available is the way to go. Um, unless you have two guys that you evaluate very fairly, like they're very close, like potatoes, potatoes type stuff. But I won't like reach on QB if I have to. I don't want to. Like I'd rather trade. Um, I think there's always, again, playing values that were values. Like you're always like Jared Goff, for example. Jared Goff, I think I keep trade cut is like QB 18. The dude's been a QB one like two years in a row. I don't think the Lions are going to go out and find anyone new because I think they're too good to get an early round pick anymore. And then like what? They're going to take... They're gonna take. They're gonna take Will Howard late. You know, like I think I'd rather Jared Goff. Uh, I think that's their future QB. There's always, I think, two or three guys that are always good values. Even like I'm a Patriots fan. I think Matt Jones is a good value. I don't. They don't have <laughs> offensive weapons, but like we have the OC for the first time ever since Tom Brady has been gone. Like we have an OC that's capable of calling plays, and we just had two two rough weeks. Like I feel really good about the Patriots offense and Mac Jones. It's usually dirt cheap. Um, yeah, so I, I I don't reach for players if I'm weak in a position. Although although in a lot of my leagues I'm pretty weak in wide receiver. Uh, I've been in your DMs about that, but uh... yeah, I've been ignoring those DMs because I get trade anxiety. <laughs> but no, so I haven't been pushing back on you much because I I honestly am agreeing with pretty much everything you're saying. Um, I and and that 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 stays true here. Like I also tend to follow this kind of zero QB strategy of just not, not, not reaching on them within the first 10 rounds, because essentially every quarterback that goes in the first 10 rounds is a reach after the first few elite ones. Yeah. Um, I, I guess from my point of view, something I want to add there is quarterback is incredibly important, especially on the NFL side. I, I like to set myself up for not having to reach for a quarterback on the college side, but not by just being loaded at quarterback on the NFL side so that I don't have to worry about filling the position through the, the pipeline from my college side. Like I like to, on the NFL side of things, the very first thing I try and ensure oh, yeah. on every single NFL roster and campus camp leagues is that I have two quarterbacks that I am confident in uh, starting long-term for years. So like that first round pick is always always an elite quarterback and I, I do whatever I can to trade up to get a second first round pick to take another another elite quarterback because then I don't have to worry about hitting on a quarterback uh, from the college pipeline because that is by far the far the hardest thing to do right like hitting on running backs wide receivers even tight ends is easier than than quarterbacks uh, but it's also like super expensive to pay up to try and hit on it on the college side so if you don't have to worry about reaching for them on the college side uh, you're saving yourself a ton of value. I, I understand agree about bully 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 QB at the next level. I I admittedly I don't like think I'm the best. Uh I don't think I'm top tier in drafting NFL guys, like for startups. And I had my friend draft my league for me in the league of record. They kept asking my permission each pick and I kept thinking each pick was just a terrible pick. Um and now my team is sucks. So that's on me for trusting him like that. But my QBs, I only had two and I'm down one now. I only have one QB now in this league. Like my roster's done for at least more than one year. Yeah, I mean, we talked about the program earlier. I'm struggling on the college side, but I have I have the best NFL side there. Yeah, I have you Patrick Mahomes, Kyler. What's up? You, I think you destroyed me this week on the program, didn't you? Probably. Yeah. I have Mahomes and I have Kyler and I have Goff for when Kyler's knee isn't working. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it's that same – it's that principle there. We're on the – in the program, I don't have to worry about, like, finding – the next Caleb Williams or Drake may to make it to my NFL rosters because for every, every one Drake may there's like, there's 20 Dylan Morris's 
it's more than 20. There's like a hundred Dylan Morris's, you know, it's like, it's really, really hard to, to pick these guys out. And I, um, I would never trade like Debbie guys for NFL. I tried it. I hit up Nelly because I know his co-host is a Shadur Sanders fan. And I was like, I'll give you Shadur for Jared Goff. Again, a guy I think is, I think universally like underrated, but um, Nelly was not letting that shit fly. <laughs> no. Cause I, I don't, I don't trade NFL players for college players because it's so much easier to replace college players than NFL players. Yeah. Um, it's, it's even though crazy. it's a little bit less fun. Um, I but I guess that are, sorry, people that are new to C2C, it looks like an unrelenting format. I think the format's super forgetting and uh, you could really change your team after like one off season. Let me say there, I think that's extremely true on the college side. I think that's yeah, extremely yeah. untrue on the NFL side. Yeah. And so that's something you have to tread very carefully with. Because if your team is bad on the NFL side in a regular dynasty league, congrats, you get the first overall pick the next year. You get rewarded by getting good picks to supplement your, your NFL team. If your NFL team is bad in a campus to Canton league, you have to figure that out on your own. Like there is no, it's really tough. And so like a lot of times people sacrifice NFL picks and startups for, for college picks. And so you have to be really good at picking out these Debbie guys that to like build up a strong pipeline. And like, that is Debbie's fun. Debbie's really hard. Like it's really, really hard to hit on the guys who are going to become studs at the next level. I want to ask you this question. Do you think, everyone everyone poops on the uh the rookie draft like the nfl rookie draft on the c2c side it's just we look at the whole entire list it's a pile of dog poop but i actually really think that the first like two maybe the like maybe just the first pick is actually valuable and if a manager's not paying attention you can quickly identify who's the worst team in the league that you should probably go ahead and throw out low ball offers for that first overall pick i like christian watson was the 101 in a rookie draft like two, three years ago for C2C leagues. Uh, my home league, like Mingo wasn't picked on a roster. Like I, so Mingo was the 101 in a league, but like stuff like that. So I think like the 101, if you can identify it sooner before your league mates, I think like that's like a sneaky move to help out a little bit. Yeah, and you get FCS guys that are coming through. I mean, you would have gotten Trey Lance a couple of years ago. I mean, I saw Luke Musgrave, yeah. Roshan Johnson on some on some supplemental drafts last year. Carson Wentz a handful of years ago. Isaiah yeah. Davis maybe next year. Um, but like, it, it is the the first like I would say like three picks max. Uh, like can have some value, but it's nowhere near the same thing as getting Caleb Williams. You know what I mean? Like, right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's worth taking advantage of. It's something, but it's not nearly enough to be worth being bad, like intentionally. Oh no, I'm just saying to trade for it. Like I could, who's really valuing like the one-on-one on the rookie side, like that highly. That's a good point. That's a good, this is a strategy podcast. That's a great strategy tip. Go find the worst team in your league and trade for their first round pick because they all are valued at pennies. And Throw maybe this one Jermaine would be a Burton. nickel. Throw them Jermaine Burton. Later, <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah. Um, I guess any other just, because we were talking about the last point here a little bit, any other just general NFL college like synergy thoughts in terms of how you, do you do any sort of decisions on your college side based on your NFL side or vice versa? Or do you really treat them as two separate entities? I treat them like two separate entities and I don't even like, I probably should do better at this and knowing who's coming up. But once they like come up, then I'm like thinking about how I'm going to move people for like different stuff. Like I like Puka Nakua came up and 
in the program. I got him in there. I offered some dude straight up Puka for like Butte because I thought there was a higher opportunity there. And obviously the the talent that was before his ACL was enticing, which, which was a straight up no. And like, thank God, like that was a pretty big game for me to say no. But like that's, I, I treat them like two separate entities and I don't even like really paid much attention until they're in there. Because I think just trading between the two is almost too hard. I, I know that at the website, we're trying to combat that with like the C200 rankings. Um, which Felix, I offered him like a whole bunch of actual assets that he has ranked in front of one of his players, and he said no. It was like it was, he needs to fix his rankings, and that's the way he's going to play. I'm just saying that. Yeah, we will not be having Felix on Blueprint to Can because he does not have strategy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Felix shoots from the hip. Yeah, yeah, he does. <laughs> um, I will say this though for another thing for strategy because we're talking about player evaluation and Devi stuff. There's guys that are fringe assets that you know that aren't Jacory Brooks, for example, I've never been a fan of Jacory Brooks. And even going into this year, I thought he was a very clear, um, like sell, but if you can identify those guys early, like Jacory Brooks or Jojo Earl, like, I think like you need to capture value when you can, cause you know, when, you know, like they're not going to offer you CFF value. And so you're really crossing your fingers for Debbie value. Cause they have the Alabama stick. But if you can identify that, this is just not going to happen for them. Like you should, you should capitalize like Dor- Dorian Stingers in that crowd. Like he's not going to be a stud the next level. And then, um, Chase McClellan, I think, is in that boat now, too. Like, capitalize on that now before it's too late because these guys aren't shining. We're approaching week four, which I think just sets the tone for a player's entire, like, year. Uh, A.D. Mitchell's another guy. Like, I love the tools. The production profile is not there. I think he has to go back next year. And it's just too much uncertainty and variables around him. I would rather think I'd probably just cash in. It's always, like, the upper tier is elite, and then those maybes are just – they're just so far and few between from actually hitting. So I'd rather just capitalize on what I can and just, you know, reshuffle, reshoot. Yeah. And, and that was actually something we talked about last week in terms of okay. like the, well, no, but it's good to, it's good to talk about more because you, I, you are a good trader. Right. And so like you talk about a guy like Shelton Sampson, if he's a year one zero, um, Oh yeah. You said you would drop him, but I bet you someone would buy him. And you can go and get a 12th round pick for him. And yeah, a 12th round pick isn't what you bought him for, but it's more than you'd get if you just dropped him. So right, like, yeah, yeah. if you can yeah. recognize when these guys are toast before the world recognizes when they're toast, um, there, there's definitely value in that rather than just waiting for the toast to be completely burnt. The freshmen too. Like the fresh, yeah, the freshmen is a really good one because they, they all hold some sort of insulated value to a degree. Um, yeah. Oh, one more thing about the waivers too. Uh, then Corbin to my draft strategy. I think it's so key to hold on to one waiver. Have you talked about that? Like hold on to one towards the end. Uh, a little bit, but elaborate on on why you like to do it. It, it there's always like I'm trying to think of uh like at a player last year. There's always like a late breakout. Like there's there's always like a couple of late breakouts. That's like you know, and you look around your league, and there's only like two or three guys left with like waiver wire pickups. Um, but it's also a really high trade value too, because also in the program too as well. This trade didn't work out, but I traded um, big wide receiver guy Matt pretty much my last waiver claim because I needed a CFF running back for my run in the playoffs, which I lost week like the first week immediately, and I traded for Kalen LeBorn. But I picked up Jordan Tyson, who was a guy that some people were very intrigued by, including myself. I was intrigued there for a little bit by him, um, and uh, it looks like we're both losing out on that trade. But but you know that's. It, it, it's it's that late like where I pick up could really save you from drafting. I don't know, like Jaquinton Jackson was a third rounder, a fourth rounder, a lot of in a lot of leagues uh, from this uh, last um, like supplemental draft. So that that could like save you a lot on value if you can, like if you can. 
don't try to stash like players early. Try to stash them late, I think. Yeah, and I think late is when you start to see a lot more of the freshmen break out and uh, having a large pool of freshmen uh, will just inevitably lead to a a larger pool of freshmen who will be successful, right? Right now, if you're trying to pick up freshmen, there's like like five to 10 guys who have been used at all that are available on waivers. And most of them play for bad power five teams. Um, so like I, I'm, I'm fully with you. Like I think you got to spend some waivers early on, on CFF guys, but I think you got to save some as well for late in the season to pick up those, those uh, the freshmen that break out late because I mean, I, I don't like drafting freshmen other than the top names. Like, I don't shoot for just random four stars throughout my supplemental draft. Right. And I counter that by by trying to actively pick up the ones that break out, break out off of waivers. Um, um, yeah, because I think that that's a, a more efficient way of identifying talent. Yeah, right. But, on. I agree. Yeah. All right, cool. So... Um, I guess th- that covers about everything we wanted to talk about here. Uh, any any last thoughts? Any last strategy thoughts? Any uh, any program trash talk? Uh, <laughs> I uh, no no program trash talk. I um, I hope my team holds up. Uh, just be careful with power five versus G five. Like again, like my team's kind of a glass can. I have a lot of power five running backs. They've been carrying my roster the first four weeks, but now they play in conference play. I can't get away with my running back scoring 20 plus points a week because they're no longer playing G5 defenses. So uh, you definitely need a balance. And I don't think I'm the best at balancing my G5 to P5 comparison, uh, but I'm really just looking for like those three solid starters I can get like on the waiver wires and just plug them and forget about them. That actually, that reminds me of something that you tweeted out recently that I wanted to mention. You mentioned like, I think it was power five players that perform against weak teams uh, yeah, should not be impressive. That should be expected. And I guess yeah. I wanted to hear you elaborate on that a little bit because on one hand, I agree, but on the other hand, like they still need to do that. Like it should be, it's the expectation, yes. but it, it, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. And then also, does that swing the other way? Like does a, a player yeah, who plays for a mid power five team playing up against Georgia defense, them underperforming, is that not a knock because the opponent is that much stronger? Yeah, so I, I I also talked earlier about competition levels internally and externally. So I do think that stuff matters. Uh, so, um, and, and the context is is there's there's context involved there. So um, if if I'm trying to use an example, like Romo Dunes has been dunking on G5 competition the first two weeks. I don't really care because like uh, again, like the offensive line and the defensive line between G5 to P5, like they, the Power Five team should not only have weight, they should have strength, better conditioning, better training, better just better everything. They should be levels above giving the quarterback, Michael Penix forever and a day to throw the ball. And on top of that, even on the other side for like the receiver versus the DB, like these guys aren't good athletes. They don't get drafted for a reason. Like they can't even, they can't even keep up on a physical level rather than like a technique level. So it's more like an expectation that these guys do well against G five competition. Um, Maybe like the exception being like low level, like power five teams, like, like Virginia, you know, I'm a fan of Malachi fields, but like Virginia is terrible. So maybe like if he does well, I probably care a little bit more against like upper G five guys. But for the most part, like I, I don't want to double count, but when I see a established veteran, like do bad against a G five defense, uh, uh, Donovan Edwards has been terrible. I think this year, I can't remember who his competitions have been, but like, I think some of them were like G five teams and like, I, I got to pull them up. 
Bowling Green, ECU, and UNLV, and he's been <laughs> awful. Yeah, like that's that's like that's a you should be worried. You should be worried about that. Uh, so because like those there's still holes opening up. Michigan's offensive line was a Joe Moore Award winner two years in a row, and I think their front runners win it a third time again. I, even for the Senior Bowl, all those guys are projected fifth round picks. They all are on the watch list. So um, there's just no excuse for Edwards, who has been successful in the past, to be failing now. And I think that's a huge concern. Like it's not like there's no change of system. You know, like I know people are worried about Braylon Allen. There's no change of system here. Like this is the exact same stuff. He's just failing. I don't understand why. And so that's that's a big concern. So when they do bad, I care. When they do good, I'm kind of already expecting it. So I, I kind of like, you know, like pat on the back, like good job that you did your job. Like good job. Yeah, I think well, I think that does matter. I don't think it gets talked about enough. Uh, I don't think it's the be all end all because sometimes these blowouts happen and the usage is lower, but especially efficiency metric should be. Yeah, should be pretty good. Stuff. Like Donovan Edwards shouldn't be going nine for 10 against UNLV. Like that's not a good sign. Don't tell Felix. Felix has zero worry about Donovan Edwards, but That's not good great. when you're doing that. Um, um, and then uh, I do care about true freshmen, though. Again, these guys have to adjust to the game speed of going from high school to college. Uh, so they have to overcome that. They have to overcome the older veterans, maybe like the sixth or seventh year guys that are still hanging around since COVID. Like if they can overcome that and play, even against if it's blowout against G5 and look good, like I, I think that matters, mostly from like a, a like game acclimation standpoint. Yeah. Yeah. Are those guys that, so a guy, guys that do that, are you jumping for them on waivers or are you just taking note of them and then waiting for potential role increases to jump at them on waivers? I jumped at Tyler Brown, but typically I would wait. If it's one of those like major blue chip programs, I would jump, you know, like if it was a three star at like Ohio state, Alabama, Clemson like that, I think I would jump at that. But um, if it's not like one of those top tier programs, I'm probably just waiting I slap them on my my guy, um, Mike's misfit list that's just doing terrible this year. Like that's what those guys are. Those guys are true freshmen that got playing time uh, for various context reasons. Um, but I'm just not sure what they are as a player. So I'm looking for that second year jump up, you know. Uh, and that's that's really like 80% of Mike's misfits are just freshmen yeah. that flash a little bit. Well, I'll give you Tyler Brown is getting reps with the with the one. So that's not it, it's not just blowouts for him. I mean, that's when he had his biggest game, but he is getting I mean, he's been rotating in with Antonio Williams with the one. So like pretty impressive. It's like guys like so like the other side of that coin is like, I don't know, you have some running you have like Jaden Lamar at Oregon, you have Tybo Rogers at Washington, running backs who like have very good games in fourth quarters against really bad teams. Yeah. And it's like for me, it's like, okay, noted. These guys might be good, but also like it's the fourth quarter and they're still the fifth string running back. So for for me, I, I'd wait on those guys to take on those bigger roles. And if oh. I thought they were really good, though, I'd probably jump on it. If I didn't think they were good beforehand, because um, the, the the transfer portal nowadays, right? Like, everyone just transfers. They get, like, one free pass to go anywhere they want. Like, it kind of – I complained last night on my podcast. Like, it sucks to shoot from deep because like, you can, like, just hope that some three-star guy that flashed a little bit his freshman year, like, gets an increase in step in usage. And then the program, the offseason, is like, nah, what did you know the six-year guy from North Texas? Because he's, like, more ready to go <laughs> and, like, four years older with more experience yeah no that sucks and that's also why i hate taking on like i don't like rostering anyone who's a projection other than the yeah. elite recruits because you it's so much harder to be a projection these days because it's so much easier to to uh to disrupt their kind of uh projectable 
like pipeline to success. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, the portal is, is killer for shooting for deep for sure. Um, but all right, cool. Mike, I appreciate you coming on. This was great. Great discussion. Um, we'll have to bring you on at some point. Do you want to give a little plug for, for back to Debbie? I mean, I'm sure not many people listening to this haven't heard it, but, but let, let's hear it anyway. Absolutely. You guys got to check out Back to Debbie. It is the best Debbie show on this podcast feed that Camscan offers. The best. Don't think otherwise. Okay. Um, I do impromptu ads because they refuse to give me a script. I'm not running out of ideas either. I took shots at Nebraska fans this week, so it's probably a plus if you're not a Nebraska fan. Um, but yeah, uh, Back to Debbie, me and Corey, we do like player analysis. Once we get into in-conference play, I think like me and Corey are both super excited about that. We have a lot more players to analyze. I don't have to say that Blake Horn blew the back out of ECU. Like, okay, like that's expected, you know? So it, it's it's going to be really exciting here these upcoming weeks to see how this class shapes up. I'm pretty pumped about that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Debbie's kind of just getting started with real competition. But all right, thank you everyone for listening. Uh, appreciate you. Uh, any feedback, any questions, any sort of uh, any sort of discussion whatsoever is always welcome. So feel free to reach out. Uh, but until next time, uh, thanks for listening. Have a good one.